And I remember it was so funny because uh, I thought about that and I said, now, okay. It was very, very simple. And uh, we had the discussion and uh, he started to say, okay, we will increase your salary. And I said, no, you will not increase my salary. You will double it. <laughs> it's exactly what I said to him. And I swear on my daughter, if he would have said no, I would have stopped. That really broke me. And um, I remember I was crying. I was, uh, that was a tough, tough one because I really felt we deserved that win. And um, at the end of the day, it's, it was a great for experience as well. The first win isn't supposed to be easy, especially not when you're fighting with, uh, with a guy called Sebastian Ogier. <laughs> Welcome to WRC Backstories, our exclusive World Rally Championship podcast presented by Bex Williams. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new season of WRC Backstories. I guess I'm going to be about the millionth person to say Happy New Year to you all right now, because I know I feel like I've said it a million times to everyone. Hope you had a wonderful break over Christmas and that you're fully refreshed, recharged, ready to go for a brand new season, which is very much up and coming. I am delighted that WRC Backstories is back again for another season and we are kicking off season five with a big hitter. He's one of my favourite people on the championship. I say on the championship, we don't see him as frequently now as we used to, but it is double world champion co-driver Luis Moyer who is joining me today. Like I said, he's one of my favourite people because I don't think I've met anyone who communicates quite so passionately as Lewis how much he loves rallying. It's an absolute joy just to, to speak to him in a service park. You just bump into him and you know it's going to be a half hour chat because you will chew the fat, talk about everything rallying and life in general. He's got an incredibly positive attitude to life, which just rubs off on everyone. And this podcast was, honestly, it was a bit like a therapy session. I, I walked away from it feeling a little bit healed. And I, I hope you guys do too as well. Lewis obviously had incredible success as a co-driver alongside Carlos Sainz. He was famous for his pace note delivery, a hypnotic trance that everyone would go into, listening to the shotgun-fired Spanish tones of Lewis Moyer. A double world champion, 24 WRC wins to his name, multiple podiums, wins on some of the most legendary events on the championship calendar. Lewis has more stories than we have hours in the day to fill, but we've tried to cram as much in to about an hour and 20 minutes. So settle in and have a listen to one of the most enigmatic, charismatic people to ever grace a WRC service park. We have given him the big build-up that he deserves. The legend that is Lewis Moyer joins me now. The first WRC Backstories podcast of the year. And Lewis, I'm delighted that it's you. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. and proud to be the first one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really well, really well back uh, at home now in Barcelona. I'm traveling tomorrow to Canary Island because I have an event there, a co-driver event. And uh, But really happy, really pleased, doing a lot of sport, keeping health, um, update and uh, that's it yeah yeah well you look fantastic I have to say and it's great that 
you are keeping really busy and still busy in the world of rallying as well because your passion for it is just incredible. I love talking to you about rallying because I know we're always going to have this incredible conversation where you're so vocal about the things you love and that hasn't changed at all since I first met you and that's amazing. No, 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 no. It would never change, Bex. I mean, rallying is a fabulous sport. I love it. It gives me a lot of things in my life. I have to be very thankful thankful for rallying. You know, it gave me a lot of knowledge, a lot of get to know a lot of people, including you and, and a lot of friends all around the world. And, and uh, it's a pleasure. And in fact, now I'm going to Canary Island because in Canary Island, there's a lot of passion for this sport, for our sport. And there is a guy that was following me, said to me over the years, to do a, a co-driver school, some kind of school. But I said, I have nothing prepared, So, but someone is doing it there and I'm just going there as kind of an image or I will spend there three or four days in Canary Island. They are really passionate about rallying. Mm. Yeah, I went to the ERC event there the year before last. I'm going back there again this year. And you're right, the passion for rallying on that island is, is huge. I can't wait to go back. The roads there, the tarmac roads mm. there are just fantastic. But Lewis, Let's talk about you, because this podcast is all about you. Backstories is all about discovering a bit of the behind the scenes stuff that maybe not so many people know about. They can look up your career. A lot of people have followed you right from the start of your career, have seen the successes, have seen everything that you've been through. But maybe we don't know so much about how you got to the point in your life where you're at now, where it all came from, where it all started. And at the start of the Backstories podcast, we always do something which I'll never change, Lewis. I'm going to ask you to describe yourself, your personality, using three words. They don't have to be linked. They can just be different words. But how would you describe yourself, your character, using three words? Positive, definitely. Mm -hmm. One word is positive. And um, heavy worker. I don't mind working. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind. I like to work and, and, you know, when I do something, I put a lot of, I, I would say, positive and passion. I put a lot of passion in what, what whatever I do. Yeah. You know, I, positive, like, passionate I was and a worker. Audrey, Audrey Hepburn said once, I don't take my life seriously, but I do take what I do in my life seriously. And that's something that goes with me. You know, I don't take my life seriously. I like to joke. I like to have fun. But I do take um, what I do in my life seriously. Yeah. That, that's a great quote. I like that. I I. I'm going to use that now. I'm stealing that from Audrey Hepburn as well. Lewis, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of you as a, as a young man right now at home, at school. Was Lewis Moyer great at school? What were you like as a young man, a very young man? Mm, well, I was never a very good student. No? I was good, for example, in language. Well, it was only English in those days that we started in the school and mathematics. That I was good always, but I never... You know, to try to study, I was not the, the best student. Um, therefore, you know, I went to the university because I wanted to, once I finished the school, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to study medicine like my dad. My dad was a doctor and uh, he's a very well-known person in my hometown. In fact, when he died, he has a square on his name in La Coruña, where wow. I come from, because he was very helpful to, to homeless people and things. He was a president of a, a kitchen that has been giving food for almost 140 years in my hometown. And my father was the last president, well, now obviously someone else, but I wanted to do everything like my dad, you know, and I wanted to study medicine like him, but I went to the university in Santiago de Compostela, but I was not a good student. So after three years or four that I was in university, I decided to stop. And then 
I started to work when my mom had two shops in my hometown, in the center of the hometown. So I started to work doing accountability, you know, something mm -hmm. that I didn't like so much. But it gave me a lot of time to write about rallying because I was writing a newspaper for rallying. I was not competing then. And then uh, because in, in my home area in Galicia, in the north, uh, west of Spain, there is a lot of passion, like Canary Island. It's incredible. I mean, in a local event, probably there are 100 vehicles entry in rallying. It's yeah. incredible. And, and we had a lot of passion there. And I, I used to follow a lot of rallies in those days. For example, we didn't have a rally in Spain, World Rally Championship, but we had in Portugal. And that was not so far away from ourselves. So I used to go there and I loved the sport. I loved the sport. And then I started competing in 1983. Yeah. So essentially, you started writing about rallying before competing. Yes, because a guy, well, in fact, I was following rallies, but it was not. And a guy, the owner of a newspaper in my hometown, a friend of mine, asked me, would you write? Uh, yeah, and I was writing four pages a week in a magazine to talk about rallying. And in fact, I was not paid by the newspaper. I was paid by the, the sponsoring I got for the paper. So I had to go to dealers and, uh, you know, talk about cars and things like that. I was getting some kind of sponsoring and getting some money, a little bit of money, mm. which helps always. And uh, and that was I was doing that. And while I was doing that, then is when I started rallying. Mm. So was there an interest as well when you were growing up then in cars mechanically? for you or was it just the rallying that kind of took you at first I mean, i'm guessing your family had a car growing up my family had a sorry. a car you had a car growing yeah, up. yeah yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah obviously but there was no 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 tradition in my family direct my parents yeah my yeah. uncle yes my uncle loved motorsport he used to compete in motorbikes and in cars a long time before uh, javier and um, in fact, I used to go to some competitions with him. It was with my uncle. They lived in the same building as us. We lived on the seventh floor and he lived on the 13th floor. Yeah. And my, my tío Javier, my uncle Javier, called me, Luis, you want to come to this event? Yeah, yeah, I go with you. And I used to go with him to a couple of events and uh, because I, I love the sport. And it was really envious when my friends started to compete and to co-drive because I, I have not the talent. I probably drive better than, than normal people, but I, I have not the talent to, to, to drive for, like a rally driver. But I saw friends of mine that they were co-driving and I, oh, I thought I'd like to be in that seat. You know, I'd like to be a co-driver myself. And and then eventually in 1983, I was sitting in a, in a bar in my hometown in summer, August. And I remember exactly the place where and the guy, Jose, a friend of mine, which has passed some years ago. And then Jose asked me to co-drive in a rally for him. And I thought that that day was Christmas, birthday, uh, I don't know, the, the Los Reyes Magos, the kings like they came in Spain, all the presents they came together. You know? And then, then I went to a rally in Vigo, Rias Bajas, a very popular event then, it was 150 entry or something like that. Mm. And we were with a standard car, with a radio, ashtray, everything. And uh, But we finished, the rally was an R5, I think a Copa Turbo, and we finished the rally fifth overall. And uh, I didn't need to do anything special. I mean, my friend sat me next to him and he said, Louis, I will write the corners, you write them, and you read them back to me later. And we started like that. I didn't go to a school, but it came quite natural. And I really enjoyed that event and ever since up to now. Yeah. Hmm. That's quite incredible, isn't it? You know, so many drivers and co-drivers have different stories about how they got into it. And, and for me, one of the most fascinating ones was Michelle Mouton telling me that she actually started as a co-driver. And she was asked when she was at, a, as she described it, a, a disco, a rock and roll dance back in the day. And the guy she was dancing with said, oh, you know, do you want to come and co-drive for me this weekend? And she did. Um, but I, And I love the fact that you can remember it so clearly, you know, when you were asked and it's all these Christmases, all these presents come together. 
So you're in the Renault 5, which is one of my favourite cars, I have to say. And it's all coming naturally to you, this this co-driving, being able to call the notes, being able to put... Were you wrecking then? Were you putting the notes together on a recce or was it... Were you already given like a pre-prepared pace notebook back in that? No, day? no, no. We, we recce like a normal rally. Obviously, okay. in those days, the, the recce was free. But yeah. my friend, because we were competing in the same car he used for the family, it was the Renault 5 with roll cage, but it was a, a, back, a roll bar that was on the back that he used to take away for the rally. And, yeah. uh, oh, sorry, sorry, put it for the rally and take it away to take his kids to school. And But that was the car we were using. And obviously, he was working, so we only recce. Weekends, not so much, because he was a very talented driver. So he was really talented. I never had an accident with him. And with him, I won my first rally ever, which was Rally de Ferrol, rally next to my area in Galicia. Mm. But it, it was my first victory with him. And, and uh, no, we were wrecking normal, I mean, well, maybe six or seven times over the stages. Not a lot, not a lot, even though we could do more. But we weren't doing that about that much, but always good results. What were the family thinking at this point in time, Lewis, that your your kind of life is is heading in a, in a bit of a different direction to what you planned? What were the family thinking at this point? Well, uh, they always, you know, they wanted me to do what I love, what I wanted, you know, and they, they realized that I, I, it was passionate about that sport. You know? And then I was not, before that, uh, we, I had two very big accidents, but in, in the worst rally that you can do, which is the Saturday night uh, Saturday night rally, you know, when you go out drinking, alcohol drinking with friends and we were going out and no precautions. And then I had two big accidents. One, they gave me 70 stitches on my face and then 39 on the eye alone. And then another one, I had an accident later on in university, also going out in a partying. And, and then I broke my arm, my leg, and then they had to take bone out of my um, uh, hip because it wouldn't heal and it was a, it was a big one wow. so when he after all these things you know my man my man didn't used to sleep very well when he was going out at night he was worried I'm not always. surprised and when I said mom I'm going to the rally and I said oh Luis no that's very dangerous and he said no no mom dangerous is Saturday night rally that is very dangerous rally no because we are protected and this and then they said Luis if this is what you like we would not say no so mm-hmm. That's incredible, though, isn't it? To have, okay, yeah, your mum not being able to sleep, but to have their faith behind you. If that's what you want to do, you go and do it. That's the best when your parents are fully supportive like that. You're very lucky, Lewis, to have really supportive parents. At what point in in these early days of of calling the notes, at what point did you think in your head, this could actually be something I could do as a full-time career? Well, I I, I competed then. I competed with, which was what it is now, my brother-in-law. With Jose, then I competed in Galicia. We won the championship twice. And then we were competing with the Renault 5 rear wheel drive, Renault 5 Turbo. You know, this beautiful car. It was a yeah, beautiful yeah. vehicle. And we competed with that car and with a Renault 5 GT Turbo. We won twice the Galicia championship, the region championship. And then because of his link with Renault, his dad was the, the, the dealership of Renault in La Coruña. Then I got connected with Guillermo Barrera as a driver. The, he was, was driving for the official team in Spain for Renault with a Renault 11 Turbo. And he asked me to go with him for the Spanish Championship. And I went with him, but it was not a very good year that year. You know, the results were not coming and our car was built by the company in Spain and it was not going well. And we had a rival was Jesus Puras, who had a Renault 11 like us, but it was built in France and it seems that it was a better car. And, and the relationship inside the car was not very easy with Guillermo, even though he was my mentor as co-driver, because Guillermo was a co-driver before, and he was a very, very good teacher for me. Yeah. He helped me a lot as co-driver. But then at the end of the season, I thought, you know, like two rallies before the end, I thought, 
this is not for me. You know, I'm not really enjoying that much and I cannot do this if I'm not enjoying. And I said to Guillermo, Guillermo, I am sorry, but I'm going to stop. And uh, no, Luis, yeah, no, 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 I'm going to stop because I don't feel confident and comfortable in the car. No, no, no. And then I decided to retire. But then right at the end of the season, the co-driver of Carlos, Antonio Botto, uh, decided to stop as well because he was offered to be the team manager of Opel in Spain. Wow. And then Carlos phoned me on Christmas 1987 I was in a restaurant in my hometown, in the restaurant of a friend of mine that still is there and still has the same restaurant, the same tables. And recently it was, I sat on the table that it was that day when my sister phoned me from home because we, there were no mobile phones in 87. Mm. And my sister Lucia said, Luis, uh, Carlos Sainz has just phoned you and he wants to speak with you. He phoned me to the restaurant. And then he went back to the table. I was with my friends there, obviously talking about running because we didn't know how to speak about anything else. And... Uh, Carlos was already Spanish champion. So we knew that Antonio Botto, his co-driver, was going to stop. So they said, Luis, he's going to ask you to go with him. And I said, well, this is probably well. So I go, I will call him. And then I call Carlos. And uh, we never met. We, I mean, we met once in a rally recon reconnaissance at night. We shake hands and that was all. It was not, we were not friends. And he said he was very polite as always. How are you, Luis? Very good. And the first question he asked me, the very first question, Luis, do you speak English? And he said, yes. Because my parents, when I was 13 years old, they sent me to UK, to the south of England, to learn oh. English. And I will never be back thankful enough to my parents. Because if I didn't speak English, I had no experience in rallying. I did well co-drivers in Spain with much more experience than myself, but he didn't speak English. And Carlos wanted a co-driver that spoke English because we're going to drive for four in the World Rally Championship, five rallies. Yeah? So I said, yes, Carlos, I speak English. And then we continue the conversation. I'm sure that day I said no. I will not be talking to you now, Bex. Wow. All yeah. of that, really, all of that hinging on whether you spoke English or not. Thank God your parents sent you yeah. to England. I just want to go back very quickly to that period in your life then, Lewis, because that's a big thing, being sent off at quite a young age, 13, you said, yes? Yes. To the, to the southwest of England. Where in where in England was it? Do you remember? Teamouth. Oh, right, okay. Teamouth in Devon County. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah, Devon is lovely. It really. I, I, went, there, I went back there on, when I was 15 as well. It was When I was 13, I was a, one month and a half in the house of uh, someone there, yeah. in the family house, and it was there for one and a half months, yes. And then I went back when I was 15. That's mm. incredible. And that's the way to learn a language, though, isn't it, is to actually go to the country and, and be yeah. with a family that speak, and is talking it every day so that you can absorb it. That must have been quite the experience for you at that age. It was, but I had a very good relationship with the family. It's a pity that I, I wonder it was Mr. Smith, I think it was his name, and his wife, and they were, they treated me really well both times I've been there. When I was 13 and when I was 15, I was in two lovely families. They were yeah. really nice in the same town always, and not the same family, but they were really, I had very good memories, but unfortunately, obviously, we lost connection and I never went back, no. I wonder if they ever knew what happened to the young guy from Spain that came to stay with them. Wow. Okay, so we're in the restaurant. Carlos Sainz has been on the phone. He's asked you to do the championship with him in 1998. Do you go back to the restaurant then, rejoin your friends and tell them what's just happened? Yeah, obviously, when I, when I sat at the table first, I went to the table because when my, my sister phoned, I was a bit, you know, Manolo, the owner of the restaurant, Lucia is phoning you, Luis, and I, I thought, well, something was wrong. I thought mm. that something was yeah. And then I wondered, no, 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 Luis, Carlos Sainz has just phoned. Okay, okay, phone. Carlos was still living with his parents then at his house, so he gave me his telephone number, and they went back to the table, and my friends, they said, Luis, 
he's going to call you. In fact, one of my friends there was Ignacio Rivera, the CEO of Estrella Galicia, the beer, because he's a good friend of mine and he still remembers that day. And uh, obviously I phoned him straight away from there and he said he wanted me to go with him. And I said, Carlos, I know what it will be the answer, but I would like to speak with my parents first because it's a decision that I have to take. I have to go and live in Madrid. I was living in La Coruña, which is 600 kilometers away. And um, tomorrow I call you back. And I knew the decision was going to be yes, but I always like to share this with my parents. So I went home like at one o'clock at night or something like that. I knocked on the door of my parents. My mom thought they had another accident. And I said, no, 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 mom, don't worry. It's not an accident. I'm going back to rallying. What? With whom? With Carlos Sainz. Oh, who is rallying again? I said, yes, mom, I love it. I want to go. And it's a big opportunity. And in fact, I have a, a Renault 5 myself, a Renault 5 a standard car GTS um, that my parents bought to me. And uh, my, my father said, Luis, do you need some help to go to live in Madrid? And I said, dad, you already gave me a car. I'm afraid I have to sell it because I have no money to study in Madrid. My salary was very low those, those days. Mm. And I went to live with a boyfriend of my sister in Madrid. I was sharing the house with him because uh, he was studying medicine. And I went with Tony there and I said to my, pa- my dad and my mom, I have to sell the car. They gave me 300,000 pesetas, which is about I don't know, 1,500 euros or something like that now. Mm. And with that, I went to Madrid and um, until now. He didn't go back. He went quite wow. well. Do you know what, Lewis? That's got to be one of the best stories I've ever heard, to be <laughs> honest, of, of a co-driver and driver meeting like that. That's just fantastic. I mean, and, and what a time of year as well. At Christmas for it to happen, it couldn't have been better. You must have been on top of the world knowing this news, going into a brand new year, a brand new season, being alongside Carlos. You said you'd met just briefly, you'd passed pleasantries with each other. What was it like when you met properly and began a working relationship? Did you get on straight away? Immediately, immediately. Because I think the reason is because we are completely different. Mm. Completely different. You know, I, I'm, let's say I speak more, I'm more open. Carlos is more, more quiet. But yeah. I think we connected really well. We both like sport. In fact, I think we were the first rally drivers to do fitness during, during recce. You know, normally people didn't used to do it and we used to go coming out of the recce car and go jogging and but my very first memory with Carlos was in fact we were doing the Spanish championship we were doing Spanish tarmac championship Spanish gravel championship with an RS200 a group B and the world rally championship five rallies with the four Sierra Cosworth therefore it was a very intense year and then obviously we had to be wrecking and testing continuously and we started wrecking in Portugal because we had to do Cordoba rally in Spain, but then we had to go to Portugal first to the recce, then back to Cordoba, then back to Portugal. And the first day when we came out of Lisbon Airport, the mechanic, Jose, came with the van, the trailer, and the recce car, which was a rally car in those days, you know, Sierra Cosworth. And I sat, and then we were driving towards the first stage, Montejunto, the first stage we were going to recce, and Carlos said to me, Luis, do you know why we are going to the World Rally Championship? And I said, no, Carlos, I know, I think we're going to compete, you know, as best as we can, and no, we're going to the World Championship because I will become world champion. And then I look at him and he looked at me with those big eyes and he said, he really mean it. You know, I realized he really mean it, you know, and yeah. I, immediately, you know, my thinking changed. You know, this is not uh, something to enjoy. Obviously, we have to enjoy to do our sport, but we're going for something big. You know, Carlos says he's going to be world champion. I, be, I believe in him. I think he's going to be world champion. Yeah. And the determination he has, he has proved it ever since, you know, incredible. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's still going now and showing how determined and how capable he is at the Dakar at the minute. Uh, 
I, I'm I'm loving the fact that he he said that straight away because that was what 1998 and the, the championship 88, wins. 88. Sorry, 88. Sorry, 88. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. 88. And the championship wins came quite quickly after that. So the the determination, the grit, the focus. It was he was like um he was like a cannonball really because it all happened very quickly. Lewis, the success. Really, really quickly. I mean, first victory didn't came didn't come easy, you know, and the first victory was Acropolis 1990. We had opportunities before to win Rabia. In fact, Finland 1989, we were doing quite well. Uh, Rally, see, and we were doing very well. And I, I think we broke the prop shaft, I think it was 58 stages, and we broke the prop shaft in Dalby stage, like two stages before the end. <clears throat> and uh, we were very close, but we were never winning, you know. And in fact, the first rally we ever won, which was Acropolis 1990, was the rally probably that Carlos hated more because it was so rough, because of the condition of the roads. He said, Luis, I, I enjoy more driving, you know, like New Zealand type of stages or Finland, you know, where it's smooth. He didn't like that hard rally. And in fact, it was our first victory. You know, it was uh, the first victory came in 1990 Acropolis. And then immediately we won New Zealand after that. And then the championship as well, you know. So after the first year, we were only five rallies in the championship. Then 89, we, did, we didn't do a full championship. But in 1990, we did our first championship and we won it. Yeah, yeah with an incredible entry list as well. Mm. I, I, I was about to say that, you know, when you look down at the entry list and some of the, the drivers that were on at that time and, you know, your career, you and Carlos, you competed against so many incredible drivers, but mm. during changing regulations as well in so many different cars. But for you going back to that time, you, you've come from the Spanish Championship, you're into the World Championship, your actual competency as a co-driver how much do you feel you were improving and were you getting advice from anyone or did you just do all of the work yourself was anyone helping at all well I was always trying to ask you know because I like to speak I speak a lot and I always trying to ask and even for example I didn't speak Italian those days but Italian for Spanish is not so difficult so I started to learn Italian you know to communicate with Italians and because my ex-wife is French and spoke French at home I could speak French so then I started to speak with co-drivers and I still think, you know, nowadays that I was never, I have never been the best co-driver, not the best organized, probably not the best, but inside the car reading page notes, I was very proud of myself and Carlos yeah. as well, you know, because the, Carlos's notes were complicated, but I always like to work together with some other co-drivers, you know, for example, you appeared in, when we were in Toyota, well, you appeared in, you know, he had much more experience than myself, so I spoke with him and then Years later, I remember the data when I was with Denis Odette and Sven Smets in the same team, we used to work together, the three of us, because I always said, you know, four eyes or six eyes will see more than two. So maybe yeah. you're doing something different, something that I'm not doing right. And I knew I was not the best in that particular area. Inside the car, I have no complaints. You know, I think I could do better than anybody. You know, I could be yeah. really good reading page notes. But other things, I know that people was doing it better. So I, I like to speak with them, ask them and... That's the key, you know, to communicate as much as you can, to learn as much as you can. Mm. In terms of, um, you know, you talked about you you like to talk to people, and I think getting advice is, is really fantastic. You mentioned it there that Carlos's no notes were complicated or complex. There, see, there must have been a lot of information in there, Lewis, because you're famous for the the uh, shotgun style of delivery of how much you had to get out and. It's impressive to listen back to your notes and I can barely get a word of Spanish out of it because it's so fast. There's so much information there. So we must have had very complicated notes then. A lot of information in the notes, yes? 
a lot of information, but I like it like that. You know, and I used to concentrate a lot in the reading the pages because it was not very easy, but I used to say to Carlos, Carlos, you tell me to write as much as I can speak because speak faster than me is not very easy. So if I cannot speak faster, it's because I cannot do it. You know, in fact, I remember once wrecking in Finland with the rally car. We were with Toyota 1990, We were wrecking with the rally car. And, you know, Finland is very long corners with crests. And then and we're coming two very long corners on sixth gear to a junction, first gear. Yeah. Mm. So I had to start calling the notes very early. So Carlos break on time for the uh, happy. And then when I started to call the notes, Carlos said, Luis, slow, slow down. Where are you starting? Yeah, wait, wait. And he said, Carlos, no, stop. And you, you never said driver to stop during the wreck, you know, but he said, Carlos, stop. Look, Luis, Carlos, stop. Let me count the words that I have to say for three corners. And it was something like 48 words or something like that. I said, Carlos, I have to start reading at breakfast in the hotel to get to the breaking point on time. So for me, it's not possible to read faster than I have to start very early. Otherwise, you don't. I said, Carlos, said, Luis, you're right. So we started to take some words out and then we managed, you know, I managed to do it. But I still had time because I always did the rallies, always in the special stages with a pen, pencil in my hand, changing notes. I was always changing notes during the rally because it was a way of keeping concentrate, you know, and I knew, for example, if a crest, Carlos was doing flat crest in Finland, which you never know how much you're going to fly, yeah. whatever. For example, in the wreckage, you cannot try it. And then he was flat, then I would put an F in the notes. So that for next year, when we go, Carlos, last year it was flat. Are you sure, Luis? He's written in the notes. I check it, and during the wreck, I knew exactly the gear that Carlos was using in every corner. And for example, if a corner was in fourth, and then he would put fifth, and then he put a five, and next year, I would say, Carlos, last year, that was in fifth. Are you sure? I said, Carlos, always sure. So I always yeah. ch was changing notes because with the helmet on in the rally is the best way to change notes. And, and it helped me to concentrate more, more on the stages. Hmm. Take me back to 1990 then. The first win, Acropolis, which you said straight away, the next rally was New Zealand. That was another win on the board. What was the feeling like, Lewis? Because you've had these few years now with, with Carlos. You swapped to Toyota, come into 1990. You take your first win as a co-driver at the top level of the sport after all of this love, all of this passion for it, all of this work, and you're here. You've got a win under your belt. How did that feel? Really good, really good. And I, and I have a very good memory right after the last stage, we was steady. We were driving on the highway back to Athens. For the finish, we were already winners of the rally. And the Lanthia mechanics because in those days they were recce on, they were service on the road sections as well. They were with the van in the highway, a stop with the Spanish flags waving at us and waiting for us when we pass. Our wow. rivals, it was Lancia team. And that was an incredible memory, you know, that they were happy that we won the championship and it was not our team. So it was, it's a fantastic memory. And obviously when we got back to Spain, because when you win the world championship, okay, you win the world championship, but that was later, you know, but well, maybe we'll get back to this later. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it, it's quite incredible that the support that you had, and I'm guessing the support from home as well, your family, your friends as well, who were rallying themselves and behind you 100%, they must have been thinking, wow, our boy is out there doing it. They must have been so proud of you. Yeah, and also in Spain those days, Bex, uh, because now in Spain, we are very popular in most of sports. Yeah, we want the Football World Championship, basketball, handball. And we have Rafael Nadal, John Ram in golf, uh, Mar Marquez, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz Jr. We have Pau Gasol. Plenty of sport. We win everything, even badminton with Carolina Reed. You know, we went a lot. But in those days, no, we didn't. In those days, we were very popular in Spain because the news were opening when we won a rally. 
imagine when we won the championship. Yeah. So we were very popular. And that's the reason probably why I'm so popular as well in Spain, you know, because in those days, Spain, we only had Angel Nieto, motor money driver, and Manolo Santana, the tennis player. Those were the only two top sportsmen that have won something before important. And we came and it was not, not known in Spain for, you know, to having good rally drivers or Mm. any kind of top sportsman and I think that was the secret in fact we won the championship in, in, in San Remo and we got back home when we landed I was living in Madrid then and then we landed in Madrid and I could not believe what I saw at the airport you know there was a, a bus from the Spanish Federation with the president but then the amount of people that was at the airport waiting for us with Spanish flags and then we went with a bus to a main square in Madrid where the major of town receivers and then we were followed on the bus by, I don't know, hundreds of vehicles and motorbikes and all with the Spanish flags, flag. It was impressive. And then I realized, Carlos, I think we have something done something special. But yeah. I could not believe it until we were there. Absolutely. I mean, and this was this was at the, the first championship win, yes? Yeah. So 1990 then was a very, very special year for you. You both. You know, the, the first wins... And, you know, you, you have to look at these wins. Legendary events, Acropolis, New Zealand, and then the one everyone wants to win, Car uh, Lewis, Finland. I mm. mean, to win a Thousand Lakes Rally as it was back in in that time, that must have been, apart from everything else, like, and Wales, of course, which was something known probably, uh, probably back in 1990, it was RAC, Lombard RAC Rally, mm -hmm. it was called, I would have thought. But to win a Thousand Lakes Rally, that's quite a feat. And to become the first non-Nordic driver, co-driver to win. I mean, I bet the Finns were not happy with that at the time. No, Carlos, in fact, Carlos, if you ask Carlos what is his, his first victory, he will always put Thousand Lakes. You know, it was a, a very special year, very special victory. And there is a picture of us in the podium, and there is something that nobody, not a lot of people notice, that when you look at the podium, when we won the rally and we are on top of the car, if you ask someone, could you see something special there? You look at Carlos's feet, and there was different shoes. Why? Because during the recce, the, like, the day before the shakedown, we had some friends, friend of Carlos there, and Carlos, we decided to take, Carlos decided to take his friend in the rally car, in my seat. So he sat in the car, went to do a stage, and in fact, it was at night, and after a crash, there was a guy drunk stopping a car and he had an accident and he twisted his ankle, left ankle. And the, the shoe that we use, Sparco in those days, I think it was not fitting very well. So he had to use a sports shoes, the one he used for jogging. So he has a, a, a different shoe on the left and the right. And in those days, it was not compulsory to have the, the proper rally shoes. Yeah. So he had to use different shoes, but we still, he had a bit of pain, but during the rally, we forgot completely about it. And, we had a, a very good rally. I remember we won in front of Ari Vatan, and I think it was a rival yeah. that year at the very end. And it's a victory. It's incredible. It's a very incredible feat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's sensational. That's a great story as well. Um, obviously, couldn't happen in this day and age now with everything with the regulations and, you know, you having mm. to wear specific things. But my goodness, the adrenaline pumping during that event, then he didn't feel any pain in that ankle with the adrenaline going, but I'm sure it hurt afterwards. Yeah, but, yeah, obviously. But, but during the rally, it was not a problem. That whole year, I mean, what was the sensation? Because your your memory, your recall of events and where you were and how you're feeling is is quite incredible. You must have known very early on that this was looking very good for a championship win. 
he was looking because also the first year with Toyota 89, the car was not good. It was not good at all. It was breaking, continuously breaking. But then we were working and working hard and hard and hard. Mm. With Carlos, you never stop working, you know, and trying to improve. Even though if the car feels very good, he always thinks he can do even better. So we started to work. The team was doing a fantastic job. We had a fantastic team manager of Anderson, a great guy. And then it was a question of working hard and working hard and working hard. And in Kenya as well, they sent us to Kenya, which was not supposed to be in our championship. We were not supposed to go to Kenya, and we went to Kenya as well to learn to understand that event. Because in fact, we went to Safari in 1990, and it's, I think, one of the worst, if not the worst, safaris ever. Because we started 67 cars, and we were only eight at the finish. We finished fourth overall, but it was a nightmare of an event. It was a hell of a lot of rain, and wow, incredible. Only eight cars finished the rally. I think the last one was almost 24 hours behind. Wow. It was incredible. And But it was a good experience for us, in yeah. fact. Year later, we won the rally. We won the safari. So, you know, but two years later, 92. I mean, when you look back at the statistics and the wins on the board, you said, you know, Carlos will always mention a thousand lakes as being the, the one. For you, is is it the same or is it a different event? It's different. For me, it's safari 92. Because I think it was, a, it was a very long event. It was six days event, five and a half, let's say, but six days. And it was a very tough event. And we did anything, I think, a very good you know, everything worked really well. Carlos did a good job. I think I did a good job as well. The team, a fantastic job. And uh, I mean, the testing that Michael Erickson was doing in those days with Nicky Grisco driving, they did a fantastic testing and we just got there, drove the car and we felt really comfortable from the beginning and everything worked really, really well. But it was a, a tough event again, but we won it and that's my, my the victory I'm more proud of. Mm. Give me a bit of an insight, Lewis, because it's different today as it was back then. You, you mentioned Safari Rally and, and going and doing the recce for Safari. Some people tell me you could be away a month just recceing for Safari Rally. Different days, you're away from home a lot, you know, especially with all the rallies that you guys were competing on. That was a hell of a time to, to not be home, to be away. Did it ever at any point become like, oh, I just want to go home? Or were you enjoying and loving the whole experience? I did love a lot. I did love. Obviously, we were staying, I think, between 250 to 300 days out of our houses because mm. there was no limitation in recce and no limitation in testing. So we were traveling a lot. In fact, I had two, two, I have two kids, yeah, and I, uh, two sons. And then uh, I had a son, my first son, and he left home and he went back and he was talking a little bit. I never saw him talking for the first time. I never saw him walking for the first time, but he would never regret that. But because thankful to this sport, I could give him good studies, good formation, you know? And, and yeah. So I'm really proud of what I did and really proud of my family. My kids they were happy that dad was going away and traveling. And in fact, my Luis, my son, the, old, no, the other one is co-driving, but the other one that was with Bernard, he always said, Dad, I always have you, you always with a suitcase, always traveling. I like to travel. And now he's traveling as much as me in the past. So he, he knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's it's such, you know, it, it is a commitment. And it's still a commitment now to to the, the guys who are in the championship because it is it's still a long time away from home. And it you are pouring your heart and soul into this job from the recce to the actual competition. And it it can be completely exhausting. I think, you know, for anyone who works on the championship in any role, by the by the time it finishes, everyone is just like, <sighs> mm. they just need 24 hours to not speak to anyone and to just to be on their own in their own little world. What, when you look back to the Toyota years in particular, Lewis, which were so successful for you both, and there was such a, I think there was such a buzz around those 
those years for you guys? What really stands out from you? You mentioned the safari win, but what other things can you pick out from that time? Because there are what people I, I think don't see so much behind the scenes is that you make friendships with people on teams and you move teams quite a bit, but you make friendships that stay with you for your lifetime. And when you look back to the Toyota days, who who really made a big impression on you back then? Well, definitely Uwe Anderson. Yeah. I always say he was like our father in rallying for Carlos and myself. Also, Carlos loves Uwe. Uwe was a, a great guy, great guy. But but I think the, the memory, what, what you said, you know, the friendship, the amount of friends that I have around the world, that I meet them sometimes in a rally or sometimes I go to an event and I see them there. And we're still like it was yesterday, you know, I mean, I think we still can keep contact. I have a lot of telephone numbers of mechanics that we had in the times of Toyota, you know, and that makes me feel very proud, you know, that I still have so many friends that they remember about me, remember about them, and we see each other sometimes, and then we take a drink a beer together, and then we don't see each other for some years, but but that's the friendship, that's what I gave me more this 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 sport, yeah, I think so. Hmm. I, I, it goes from team to team, you mentioned the Lancia, you know, mechanics supporting you, and I, I think we see that now in the in the sense that there will be there's certain drivers and I think Yari Matty in in the modern day everybody wanted to see Yari Matty lap for a win because he was such a lovely guy mm. and everyone wanted to see him do well so it didn't matter what what team he was in the other teams would be like oh well if ours can't win then we want to see Yari Matty win tell t- we're jumping back to that though that that Lancia the team the mechanics supporting you waving flags supporting you for the championship win the build-up to that, the pressure on your shoulders, knowing that a championship win is possible. What did that feel like for you? Did you change? Did you adapt the way you worked? Was Did you put, I mean, I know you're putting your heart and soul into this, but did you put extra into it that first year? The first no, we were doing what we're doing what we had to do. We could recce, free recce, so we were doing recce as much as it was logical. Not, uh, not, uh, not in fact in those rallies for example in Corsica rallies like that very long events we used to break a lot the first leg the second leg not so much the third one even less and if there was a fourth leg maybe you pass only two times over the stages because they were very long and in those days the differences were quite big in rallying yeah mm-hmm. but we always used to work as hard as we could and Carlos always used to be on, on a testing he always was the first one to arrive and the last one to leave you know he always liked to check the test roads before do everything don't leave anything to the side you know we had to Commit as much as we could, 100% continuously all the time. With Carlos, you cannot do any other way. It has no. to be like that. Mm. I, I think that is it is the best way to do it. Uh, give me the sense then. The championship is is one. It's yours. You you talked about heading home and the celebrations at the airport, which I can imagine were immense. I'd love to see footage of that if that is available anywhere. I would love to see that. But I really want to know what the family thought. Were, were your parents coming to events to watch at all? Or were they watching from back yeah. home? What did they think of you winning the championship title? My parents, they only came to one event, Portugal, one year, because I asked them to come. And I said, Mom, Dad, you have to come to Portugal. It's like two hours away from home in Pobo de Barzim. Yeah. But, there, but my father came and he was so nervous seeing myself there and this. And I said, Dad, don't, don't, don't ever come again. <laughs> because you were getting really nervous. Yeah. And my mom, not so much. But my dad, who was very calm, very calm down, very, very 
cool guy and but he was nervous and seemed, you know, with a watch and talking to people. And he said, Luis, be careful. You have to check in at the control. I said, Dad, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, they never came. But they only came to one event, but they were wow. always cell phones. And it was always, in those days, there were no mobile phones. So at the end of an event, I used to phone home. And my dad was in one phone and my mom was in the other phone, you know, the phone at home. And regardless of what happened in the rally, my mom said, Luis, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I said, why, mom? Because no matter what happens in the rally, you always come with a positive answer. And there is always a positive side to everything, mm. Bex. It's the only thing you have to do is try to see it, you know? Yeah. There is always a positive side to everything. And obviously, if you win, it's better. But when you work as hard as we used to work with Carlos, you have to think that the guys next to you, they are doing the same. So you have to work really hard. But if you give everything, there is no regret after that. Mm. You know, there cannot be any regret because you've done everything you could. But some days you are beaten. And yeah. some days you lose. You lose when you don't you do your homework. But if you do your homework and someone beats you, they beat you that day, but you never lost. It's a big difference. Yeah. You know, because if you do everything you can, then you go to bed and you say, well, I couldn't do anything better. Cancun in Israel was better, or Didier Oriol, or Colin McRae. But we did everything we could. The problem is, if, you, for example, if there is a day that you go testing in Tarmac and it's raining, and Carlos says, Luis, let's go to the hotel, which is raining. They will never say that. Then you go to the hotel, and in the rally, it's raining. Then this rally, you lose. You are not beaten. You lose. Yeah. But when they beat you fair and square, you, you're just beaten, but you never lost. Yes, I, I think, you know, you do enough as it is now, but if you ever want a sideline in being a mental health coach, I think definitely you could do that because <laughs> I could sit and listen to you give me positivity notes all day, definitely. Talk to me a little bit more about the 90s. I don't I don't want to keep you masses of hours talking and we could talk for ages about your career, but things changed, obviously, after the Toyota years. There was Lancia which was was next up immediately after, before Subaru, and then a host of, of different teams. And as I mentioned at the start, you, you and Carlos went through different regulations within the WRC at the time, which, you know, changing from one group to another, you really did rally through very, very interesting times. Talk to me about Lancia first and foremost and the switch there. Yeah, we went to Lancia. To be honest, Bex, I was not really pleased to go to Lancia. Not because of Lancia, but... I thought in Toyota, we were in a strong team. We just won the yeah. championship. And because I speak with everybody, I could talk with Cancun and Andy Oriol, and I knew they wanted to leave Lancia. And there must have been a reason for that. And we saw this reason later, you know, when, when the, the team stopped and it became a privateer team. But Carlos really wanted to go to Lancia. Carlos wanted to drive for Lancia. Recently, I've seen in, in social media a video of the first day he sat in the, in the Lancia, and his smile is incredible. In fact, mine is not that much. Because I was not very pleased because we were a world champions in Toyota, and I thought, but I think if we didn't change to Lancia that year, we would probably remain a kind of Sebastian Loeb driver, you know, all years with Toyota. We would have been with Toyota for all the time. And then we went to Lancia. And then obviously that was 93. And then we went to Subaru. And then we went to Ford with Malcolm Wilson. And then we changed again to Toyota. And then we went to Ford. So we started to swap teams, which is very good because you get a lot of experience and a lot of mm. knowledge, you know, and the more teams you, you work with, <clears throat> the more you learn. You know? So I think it was positive at the end. I remember Malcolm telling me a story um, of when Carlos first went to Dovenby Hall and he was a little bit, he wasn't sure of... Bex, it was not Dovenby Hall. It was uh, Malcolm's house. It was Malcolm's house. That's right. That's right. Because Dovenby Hall really didn't exist, I guess, yeah. at that point. 
and it, Elaine had made this big dinner and it was the time for Malcolm to really lay it all on and, and try and get Carlos Sainz to be part of it all. And you were there, yes, Lewis? Yeah, I was there because I remember we got there and then Malcolm didn't have a place then those days. Yeah. So the workshop was the stables of his house. So th that was all he had. He had nothing else. And then we were there and Carlos was talking with um, Malcolm. Elaine was going around and he was playing a snooker with Matthew Wilson, a very young Matthew Wilson, who was playing a snooker in a table that Ma uh, Malcolm had at home. And then we left from there and remember Carlos said, Luis, do you think Malcolm is capable of running a team from here? And he said, Malcolm, Carlos, the only thing I know we know is obviously he's a friend because we know him from the past, from competing against him. But what I know about Malcolm Carlos is that he's a huge heavy worker. And a guy working as heavy as he is, I'm sure he will succeed. I don't know how, but I'm sure. And eventually, I mean, he, in fact, Malcolm years later, he said, Luis, I started to go around my house, but longer and longer, you know, like an hour, two hours away from my house to try to find a place until he found Dobbin Behold, which is 10 minutes away from his home. Yeah. It's a fantastic location. It's probably the best location in the world of the championship for us. For a rally team, you know, it's, it's an incredible facility nowadays. It, yeah, yeah, it, it is. But you know, back then, I remember Elaine telling me she was driving the trucks, and mm. it was it was a very much a family thing. So to to be able to to flirt with you guys to get you on board was was a massive achievement for them back in the day. But as you say, the the success now, when you look at Davenby Hall and everything that M Sport have mm -hmm. done over the years, it, it is quite incredible. But it, I love those little kind of stories. I can almost imagine you and Carlos sat at the table while Elaine is serving you all kinds of food and Malcolm is trying to sell, you know, exactly mm -hmm. what he's trying to do. The great, great stories. Um, it's such a mix because obviously you spent time um, in the mid 90s with Ford and then it's back to Toyota again in 1998 the year there almost was in a way mm. yeah but we, we went back to toyota you know it was a year in fact we went back to toyota it was like we never left because we're most of the people were still the same and this and we won the first rally in monte carlo <laughs> we did a very good tire choice our gravel crew did a fantastic job that rally and in col de garcinet i think it was the stage that tommy mackinney went off because we was with bigger tires and only ourselves and you can were with a narrow tire as I remember, and we did a very good time. And it was, I think, we only won one stage and we won the rally, so it, it was a good re entry in Toyota. Yeah, it yeah. was really good. Yeah, and like you said, it felt like then you'd, you'd never been away, and it was back to business. And you know, the results are coming, you take a win in Monte Carlo, and then it's a host of, of podium finishes, another win at Rally New Zealand, which is such a fantastic event to put you in the prime position come the end of the season. And then I think, you know, everyone knows the famous Wales Rally. Well, I call it Wales Rally GB. But again, it was called something yeah. different back in 1998. And, and the footage of, of that event and, and Margam Park, the final rally of the year. I think I've probably seen that footage more than I've seen anything else of, of you two, Lewis. And it's not, not footage that you want to see or I'm sure be reminded of. But it's, it's a key point in the career as well. In fact... In that event, in that particular moment, I said a phrase in Spain that is one of the most famous phrases in the history of Spain. And I'm saying, because you can look in YouTube, trata de arrancarlo, por Dios. You know, try to, for God's sake, try to start it, Carlos. And that phrase has followed me ever since. And because my voice is quite popular in Spain, because I did radio and I did other things and TV, and 
some people they doesn't rec recognize me physically, but when they see me or when they hear me talking, ah, oh, trata de arrancarlo por Dios. They said this phrase, which I swear back since nineteen ninety eight, which in fact twenty five years ago was this November. Wow. Uh, every week someone reminds me about it. Every no. single week someone reminds me about it. This phrase. Carlos is not very pleased when they remind him about it. For me, yes, I don't care. You know, it was a long time ago. And uh, this phrase became really, really popular in Spain. Really popular. Wow. Hmm. Lewis, you know, rallying has it, its incredible highs and exhilaration and, and it has it, its lows. And it can be cruel as a sport because it's, it, it, it has its heartbreaking moments. That definitely is one of them. For me, you're a, such a positive character. How quickly did you bounce back from that? Or did it take a while? No, it didn't take so long, no, because first of all, with a hole like that in an engine, that will never start. Mm. But, but my first reaction, and I'm happy to, see, to say that, you know, I was talking to, to companies sometimes in a conference and explaining this situation. And I said, when I said, Carlos, Carlos, for God's sake, trying to start it, yeah, it will never start. It's not going to start. But my first reaction was that, to try yeah. to start. And Carlos tried to start the engine even though it's not going to start. So I think that's the positive side, that our first reaction was to try to start it, then I got upset, I threw the helmet or whatever, you know. But then one week later, we were in Sweden testing for the following year. So that is, you, you cannot think, you cannot look yeah. back, you have to look forward, you have to start working. It was exactly one week later, we were in Sweden testing. So we started testing with the same car, with the Toyota Corolla again, and that was all. That's, that's it, you have to forget. Yeah, exactly, you have to move on from it. I'm going to ask you one more question about it, because it's something that, you know, I'm a little bit fascinated by, call me stupid, but <laughs> we see this, you know, this this footage of you, the helmet's been thrown, you're there at the car, it's game over, that's done. How long did you have to wait with the car before the team came to got you? What happened next? That's what I really want to know. What happened that evening? Did you down a couple of bottles of red wine? What happened? I remember there was an helicopter coming there to, go, to pick us up. I said I was not leaving the car. Carlos left and stayed there. And it was on tears, crying, and this. And then I don't know how I came, came out of there, but I remember going back to the hotel with Denis Girodet, the teammate. Denis took me back, and then I was on tears, crying with Denis in the car. And uh, Denis is like my friend's brother, so we have good, we have good relationship. And Denis was with me in the car, and then I went home. But, but, but I don't remember anything special. You know, I had a, probably a drink in the bar of the hotel, but I didn't go at night outside and drank or whatever. No, I had maybe a couple of drinks in the hotel and I went to bed. That's yeah. what I can remember, you know, but but that's it, you know, that's part of the story. And uh, the thing is that you have to, when you have a problem, you have to sort it 100%. If not, you have 100% possibility that it will happen again. And that's what the team did because the following day, Gideon Oriol, taking some journalists, had exactly the same problem as ourselves. No. So it was a Conrad, yes, the Conrad's, it was some Conrad's that we tested, we tried them for the first time in Australia in Perth, with these Conrad's, we were competing. And then two engineers, engine engineers that they were in Toyota, one of them said, we should try these Conrad's for Wales Rally GB. And the other engineer said no. He said that we should try them because in Perth, the surface has some these rolling stones, you know, mm, the car slides yeah, the continuously. And it was very slippery. and you don't put a lot of load in the car. But with the mud in the UK, you put a lot of load. So one of the, the engineers said, we should test them. We never did, and the result was that. Well, obviously, so next time you have to test. And then, and then what are you going to do with engineers? Well, those engineers are the same ones that started in Monte Carlo and came with us all the year fighting for the championship. Obviously, if you have a problem, sort it 100%, because if not, 
you have 100% of possibilities that it will happen again. They sort it and never happen again. Incredible. And, you know, that, that is just the story of rallying right there. Uh, Lewis, brilliant times of you in, in the co-driving seat. And, it, you know, it continued on another year with Toyota, then with Malcolm Wilson, the Ford Focus WRC, which it was a bit of a, uh, how to describe it? It looked very different. It was a brand new car, the Ford Focus anyway, and it just looked so different coming into the rally scene. There was a lot of chat behind it as to how it would go. You were there. Colin McRae was there. Malcolm with a full assault on the championship and the first rally due together, second overall at Rally Monte Carlo to get the season off to, to a brilliant start. What was it like with the whole experience with the full weight of Ford coming into the championship at that point? I think for, for us, it was natural. It was like going to a new team, you know, a new team, a new manufacturer, uh, which in fact, we've been with them before because we were with Malcolm before. Yeah. It's a pleasure to work with, work with Malcolm because Malcolm is a, it's a British guy with a special character. You know, he has, he's a British guy with a mix of Latin character inside as well, because he's the kind of guy that can bang a table if he wants, or he can shout, you know, he's not, not in that respect, typical British. Uh, and I like really, I really like Malcolm Wilson. I find him a, a really good friend. I mean, I know him since a long time ago, same as Elaine. She has a lovely wife, uh, Matthew as well, and a fantastic family. And then to work with Malcolm, it was, it was very easy. Malcolm is a heavy worker, the same as Carol. Yeah. So they understood each other really, really well. Yeah, it, it, incredible years. Uh, I'm, I'm just sat here now thinking I'm a bit of a fool here because I've missed out an important year in your championship, which I really want to talk about because I've just mentioned the name there, Colin McRae, and I've missed out 1995, mm. which you were, you were teammates at. And again, you had successes in 1995 with Subaru, but working alongside Colin McRae, who was... I loved interviewing Colin because you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth next. He was a he was a bit of a hothead and it was exciting to watch him rallying. As a teammate, though, how how was the relationship there? Because obviously there was the story in 1995 about the, the whole team order thing. Yeah, well, well, the story I had a fantastic relationship with Colin. In fact, I was last year in Scotland in an event with all the family of Colin McRae. I was Correct. invited there and I love his family. They love me. And he loved it, had a very good relationship with Colin. In fact, that year, and uh, we go back to the story in 1995, we were fighting in the valley, both Colin and ourselves. Yeah. You know, and we were leading the valley uh, by I don't know how much, but it was only one day, one stage to go at night on the second leg. And then it was the following, the short day, the, the last day. Yeah. Mm. And then before that stage at night, uh, David Richards asked Carlos and Colin to start with him. And then he said, OK, Carlos, you are in front you're going to win the valley because the difference with the guy behind it was too big and David didn't want us to have an accident, both of us. So we came out of the track, Carlos and Colin, I was not there, the, as a driver, I was not there. Carlos said, Luis, uh, David has said this to us, that we're going to the river valley, that we should slow down. And Carlos went to speak with Colin and said, Colin, forget what David said. You're doing a fantastic rally, <laughs> me too, and we go for it. Let's see what happens. And Colin said, okay, thank you, Carlos, let's go. We went at night on the stage, Pondarmentera, I remember the name. I think it was 14 kilometers long. We beat Colin by three seconds. But the third car was far behind. So Dave Richards realized we didn't listen to the team orders. And then he was really annoyed. And he came and then he called Carlos and Colin and said, I told you to slow down. I don't want you to fight. Well, the following day, okay, okay. So the following day, we started like this. And then Carlos was, instead of 100%, maybe 99%. Mm. And then Colin was trying to go 
faster, you know, he was beating us by some seconds, yeah? And normally during the break, or during the rally, you stop always on the same places to swap tires from the rear, whatever or this. And then we couldn't st stop with Colin and we didn't want to speak over the radio. So people would listen to us. And then Colin, in fact, passed us during the rally, which was not very nice. And we were really upset at the end. David Richards forced him to take a penalty and he lost the rally and we were first in the podium. And then I went to speak with Colin because I had a fantastic relationship with him. And I said, Colin, I'm really annoyed with you. That's not the guy I met. I mean, Carlos was really honest with you yesterday. So I said, Colin, I think that's the end for us at least. And next rally, in Wales Rally GB, I'm in my room working with the maps, and then someone knocks on the door. I open the door and it's Colin McRae. And Colin said, Luis, I come to say sorry. I'm really sorry of what, what I did in Spain. It was not logical. I am sorry and I'm asking you to forgive me. And immediately I started on tears. He started on tears. We hugged each other. And then that was the end of the story. But that's how it happens. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad to get some some clarity and your perspective on it from you know the people who were actually there because what happens with stories like this as you well know Lewis is the media blow it up out of all proportion mm -hmm. he said that he did that she did that and you have no idea and that's the actual story right there and mm -hmm. there as it happened in real time uh so right we'll move on from 95 now because that's what I wanted to ask you about your again teammates with Colin McRae back at Ford the working together with Colin and with Malcolm as well. You've, you've already described, I loved your description of Malcolm as having a bit of Latin blood in him because we've certainly seen that over the years. He can be very vocal with drivers. Did he have to get vocal with you guys? No, I don't think ever. I don't think because we were very straight, very honest. And, and to be honest, to work with Colin, it was really a pleasure, particularly for Carlos as well, because Colin, mm. people may not know that Colin was a really good test driver. Yeah, Carlos and Colin, when we were teammates, we were using always, 90% of the time, always the same suspension, which just makes things a lot easier for the teams. Only in Wales Rally GB, he was with the Subaru, remember, he was just a, like a 5% softer on the sprints. But normally, it was always the same. For example, with the Oriol, it was the same on Tarbac. On Gravel, we could never drive the suspension of the day. With Armin Schwartz, it was similar, but it was not the same. With Cancun and Cancun, he used to say, yeah, put what Carlos has put, I'm happy with that. <laughs> but with Colin, Colin was a fantastic, fantastic test driver. He was he would arrive at more or less the same conclusion as Carlos. Mm. Maybe not working as hard as Carlos, but he was very good test driver, very good feeling with the car. And what was the relationship like, Lewis, with, um, oh, it would have been Nicky Grist at the time back then with Fords, co-drivers working together. Did you do a lot of work together? Like you said before, you know, six eyes are better than one when you're looking at maps and road sections and everything. How was working with Nicky? Very good, very good. I, I, I think, Bex, if I look back, I never had a problem with anyone in the World of the Championship. I think... It's been a pressure to work with Robert Reed, for example, who were, you know, mm. he started with Richard, Richard was a young driver. We helped each other and I never had a problem with Nicky. It was very good to work with Nicky, with Derek Ringer as well. Uh, never had a problem. I always tried to work as much as I could with every, everybody else. Talk to me about when the, the decision or the thought came into your mind that you did not want to co-drive at that level anymore. When did that start picking in your brain? Because... 2002 was the last year alongside Carlos. When did that idea come into your head that it was going to stop? It was suddenly, it was never, and it was never given too much. You know, I thought it was enough. I thought it was uh, 15 years, it was already a lot of time with Carlos. Mm. And uh, Carlos said always, Luis, when we stop, 
you come with the car with me and say, no, 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 Carlos, no, no, no. For me, it's enough with this. I don't want anything more. And I think I did enough. You know, 15 years of running, I stopped when I had 42 years old. And I thought it was enough in that moment. You know, I, when I stopped, I mean, Carlos at the beginning didn't understand quite well why I wanted to stop. We stopped. During 15 days, we didn't speak, maybe. And then eventually we became the best friends ever. And in fact, we are still best friends. I spoke with him yesterday when he's in Dakar. I follow him and we have a good relationship. Every time I speak with him, he says, Luis, when are we going to do a rally together? And I said, Carlos, whenever you like. I'm fit. I'm still doing a lot of sport because he always wanted me to go to Dakar with him. Even when he won Dakar with Lucas, with the Volkswagen, I think the first victory was with the Volkswagen, he still phoned me and said, Luis, why don't you come to Dakar with me? I said, no, Carlos, no, because I cannot give you what you want. You know, you want the guy next to you to give the same as you or a bit more. And I'm not capable of doing this anymore. Carlos, you are special. You are, he's an incredible talent driver, an incredible worker, incredible. You know, yeah. 17 years old, he was Spanish squash champion, 61 now, and he's leading Dakar, you know? And he's it wouldn't surprise me that he wants to continue. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He is a phenomenal athlete. And to, to keep doing it, and it, the, the want and the passion to keep doing it as well, I, I think he's just quite incredible. He was actually, Lewis, the first WRC driver that I ever interviewed was mm. Carlos Sainz. Yeah. So he he has a special place in my heart. Absolutely. I think he is the best, the first one in everything. Yeah. He was the first one with you as well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> incredible. There we mm. go. Uh, but for you, I mean, leaving the co-driving seat with your wealth of knowledge, you were never going to be far away from rallying. But the next move was to Subaru as sporting director. What a shift in, not, I suppose... Your knowledge of the sport, absolutely. You can completely see you going there, but you weren't in competitive form in that sense. How big a shift was it for you, or did you find it not too big a shift? In Well, it was big because I had to go and live in the UK. You know, I had to leave. I was living with David Lapworth at his place, which in fact is a beautiful place. Beautiful mm -hmm. place. His, his house is a beautiful place. And I used to start very early in the mornings because I like to go swimming. So I used to go at 6.30 in the morning. I used to go, went swimming. There was a swimming pool next to... Pro drive. So I used to go there and then I used to stay in the office. It was some years, you know, the first year I went, it was the, the first year that Peter won the World Championship, it was 2003. Three, yeah. And uh, whatever it been, there's always been a championship or something, you know, by, by whatever, by luck or whatever. But then the relationship, it, it, yeah, it was a moment that it was, it was like in between Japan and Pro Drive. You know, the, Toshi Azuma, the team principal, which is a good friend of mine, I speak often with him in the phone, we have a message. I thought I was going to go to Japan this year to see him and that eventually didn't happen. But it was in between Japan and Pro Drive. And um, there was a moment that the relationship was a bit tense. So I had Pro Drive in one year, Japan in the other year. I had to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, it was difficult. For a moment, it was a bit difficult. Yeah. But, but then they didn't, you know, they didn't need a sporting director anymore. And then Richard Taylor said, Luis, we don't need you anymore. I said, okay, I'm happy. And, you know, I've been Good. It was experience. I, I like to have that experience, you know, to work there and to work with David Richards, which is one of the guys with more charisma in the history of running, probably, you know, David Richards. So it was a pleasure to work with them as well. Hmm. And what was it like seeing everything from maybe another dimension, from another viewpoint on rallying? How was that? Really important because you understand things you don't understand we are in, when you are inside the car. It's hmm. the same as when I work with the RACC, Royal Automobile Club of Catalonia, to organize the Catalonia Rally, you know? When you work with as an organizer, you see things that you don't see when you are inside the car. Then I, I joined the Spanish Federation, 
and it was in this, inside the Federation. And there are things that you don't know when you're inside the Federation, you know, that could happen. And then you start to learn more and more and more. And sometimes, you know, as co-driver, you wonder why, why is the stop control in this place, bloody organizers? And then, in fact, they have it there because if they move it 20 meters more, they have no, no uh, telephone connection, for example. No? And yeah. there are things that are very important. Like, for example, when he helped Jordan rally, uh, when he was there with Jordan Daly, the, the Prince of Jordan named me the ambassador of rally, of the rally, and he said, Louis, help us to organize the event. And he went there to organize the event. And he, when he said, where is the podium? And he said, Louis, why? I want to see where is the podium here. Well, no, it's wrong way. Why? Because of the sun. Why? Because when the pic journalists come to take a picture, the sun will be facing them. So the picture will not, ah, how do you know that? Because it has happened in, in, in Rally of Catalonia. Mm. So, you know, you learn a lot of things. Yeah. And you need to be in all areas to understand more the sport. You know, if you are only inside the car, you understand your area and a bit more of the outside. But the more you move, the more you learn. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, talk to me about your work with Volkswagen, because as an ambassador there, we saw you on many, many WRC events. We saw you with the fans. You were with VIP tours, talking to people about rallying, which I think is your best role, telling people about this great sport and telling them how it works because your passion just comes through in, when, you, when you're talking. What was the experience like being with Volkswagen? Because they came into the championship with an absolute goal, which they achieved pretty much straight away. They were a tour de force of a team. So many great people there. No, fantastic four years. Fantastic four years. I keep in touch with them, with the people of the marketing department, which is the department I belong to. But it was fantastic years. But first of all, because the results were there. We were winning most of everything. You know, and I started, in fact, it was in 2000. I joined them because 2012, I think it was 2000, no, 2011, it was when they decided to launch the Polo World Rally Cup. Uh, Volkswagen decided to launch it in Rally Legend in San Marino. Mm -hmm. So Carlos asked, I was developing the car with Carlos, when, because he was developing the car. Uh, Volkswagen had just stopped in the car, the program, and they decided to go to the World Rally Championship. So I was with Carlos, uh, and we went to San Marino, to Rally Legend. And on my way back home, I was at the airport, just about to get into the finger to go to my flight. And next to me was Stefan Moser, who was the head of, of communication of Volkswagen Motorsport. And yeah. Stefan said, Luis, wait a second, uh, would you like to work with us? And he said, Stefan, I don't know. Yeah, why not? Um, what would you want me to do? No, I would like you to come and you know be mainly with journalists and to explain them about the sport, our sport. And I was thinking, you know, they are going to ask me to talk and probably will pay me for that. And if I, it was like that, yeah, I love it. It was a yeah. fantastic job. I was treated really well. Uh, I gave back as much as I could. And I think I was really pleased, you know, to go with journalists, to speak with people like you, Bex, and mm. going to the stages, you know, completely different story than before but fantastic yeah absolutely fantastic and Lewis you know even to this day now we still see you so much in in touch with rallying with what you're doing um when Volkswagen left obviously you know I think we were all pretty devastated what were you thinking was going to be your next step then uh well I, 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 it was still at the time as I enjoyed Volkswagen in the world championship most more or less at the same time, I joined Volkswagen in Spain. And then I went to some events because we have a driving school in Spain, Volkswagen Driving Experience. We have a driving school here and we teach road safety and became a kind of an expert in road safety. I study about road safety and every day more and more and more because, in fact, in Spain, we are doing quite well in road safety. But And uh, with Volkswagen, I started doing that and I'm still doing it. You know, in fact, I go to Sweden now two times. I go to Sweden with guests and also with... Um, 
a journalist in this month. And then we have the first next this week, I'm going to Canary Island, but next week I will be in Segovia, just 100 kilometers from Madrid. We have an event there on driving school. And then what I do in those events is do some kind of a speech, a welcome speech. And also I talk about safety, road safety in Spain. How are we doing? How are we going to do it? Da, 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 da. I speak maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then we have a driving school. And that's what I've been doing ever since, you know, since that year with Volkswagen, I still, I'm still in touch with them. Yeah. You talked about how, how well recognized and, you know, globally, I would think you're well recognized, but certainly in Spain, your face is, is one of the most, and Carlos is obviously the most famous in relation to rallying, but in sport in general, because of the success that you had back in the early nineties, what was it like from a fame perspective? Were people just coming up to you in the street? Well, and it's Luis Moya, it's Luis Moya, you know, could you do your shopping without being recognized? Is it still the same? No, no, but people, people, they're really polite. Obviously, when I'm in an event with Volkswagen, we are in Montmelo Circuit in Barcelona, or in Jarama yeah. Circuit in Madrid, and we have 100 guests a day. Well, those guests, we are in an event, and they are rich, could they have a selfie with you? And every time someone asks for a selfie, for a picture, they are paying a tribute to me. So it's something you cannot say no, no? no and in Brown, they are still asking. And then, for example, in my hometown, because I'm the image of a bank in Spain, you know, a bank that is very popular around my area, and now there are pictures of myself in all the, the, the banks. I have, I have so, seen uh, one. You are looking very dapper. I, I was recognized because my mom was known in my hometown. It's a city of almost 300,000 people, but in La Coruña. My dad as well, but I'm a bit more than them. And, and every time I walk in the street, people recognize me. Everybody recognized me, most of 90%. But when I walk, but they, they never stop you. Maybe sometimes in a restaurant, you're in a restaurant, I say, oh, Luis, hello. They say hello, they shake hands with you. But... People is really nice, really polite, and I mean, I'm 63 years old, and the, the, to have these these people, these you know, people knowing you and asking you and being positive and say, Louis, you're always smiling, you're always happy, you know, yeah, it makes you feel really proud of yourself. You know, oh, I think I must have done something right. Yeah, because people will come and say hello because you've inspired them. They've watched you, and I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. People may not know out there, Lewis, a bit of behind the scenes about you. You just mentioned that you are the you know the, the face on on the side of some some banks in in Spain, but also you have a, a, a deep seated and I didn't realize this a deep seated love for country and and western films in particular, anything country and Western. I'm imagining you now with a cowboy hat on and maybe a little bit of a leather waistcoat. Where did that start from? And how big is this love of country and Western? Huge. <laughs> there are two things that probably people doesn't know about me. And this is Western and snooker. I don't play snooker, but I'm a big fan of snooker. Okay. I can spend a lot of hours in the TV. I was yesterday watching the Masters of snooker in Ali Pali in London. But Western, since I'm a kid, you know, I, I like Western movies. I don't don't ask me why. I don't know why, Bex. I have the first memory is um, Blue Skies, one Howard Hawks movie with Kirk Douglas. And but then I started a collection, and I have over four hundred movies. And for example, if you ask uh, someone, some expert in in movies, in Western movies, give me the top hundred movies in the history. Out of the top hundred, I have probably ninety eight or ninety nine because there's one of them that it was um, not sound and it's black and white a long time. It's 1921, the first movie ever made that is not being edited. So I, I cannot have it. And I, have, I like to have the DVD. Mm -hmm. So I have a shell with all the DVDs and then I have a collection of Western things, a lot of collections. I have here in Barcelona, I have one area at home in a half a house in La Coruña in my hometown and one room is completely 
you know, with calls, uh, I have a call, a peacemaker, a call navy, some calls, some hats, uh, things, uh, forts, Indians, cowboys. I love it. I love it. And <laughs> every time I see one somewhere, I buy something. You know, I, I love And I bought everything by hand. I never went to Amazon or something like that. Only during the lockdown, I found that there were two DVDs that I didn't have at home and I wanted for the collection and I asked them in Amazon. That was the only time. But normally, I like to buy things myself and to see them and touch them. And But I love cowboys, yeah. Wow. Mm. So you must own quite a few pairs of cowboy boots then, yes? As well, as well. I have some boots, yes. I have everything, the Canaanans, the Winchester, all replicas. They don't, wow. they don't fire because they don't like firearms, but they don't fire. But I have I have a collection, yes, yes I, I love it. And even I have a, a grave with my name on in Burgos. In... So let's just clarify a grave, which you've sent me a picture of. And when that came through without the explanation first, I thought, what is this that he's sending me? There's a grave with your name on. So it's like a little wooden cross with Lewis Moyer on a lump of, well, earth grave. Tell me about this. Yeah, because that was during lockdown where I'm sitting now. Bex, in front of my house, down there lives a woman that has cactus, a lot of cactus, mm. you know, plant and I love cactus because I'm a Western a cowboy yeah. man. And, and during lockdown, I went down and I saw Conchita and I said, hello, uh, I said, no, with the masks. And I said, Conchita, you have, oh, what's your name, Conchita? You know, you have a cactus. I said, yeah, do you, want to, do you want to come and see? I said, no, 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 because we're in lockdown, we cannot go in and this, because I'm the guy that does a sport in front of you, because I have do a sport in front of, in here in the balcony. And she could see me. You know, I could see you there. You are the one that is poor, yeah. Eventually, through his son, through her son, mm. I got in touch with a guy because I didn't know about Sad Hill Cemetery. It's called Sad Hill. They edited even a DVD. And there are some guys from Salas de los Infantes, a small village near Burgos, that they decided to rest restore the cemetery that Sergio Leone built for the good, the bad, and the ugly in 1966. Wow. But when they went to do it, you know, one is a teacher in a school, the other one is a biologist, they don't have money. So he said, no, it's impossible because there were 5,000 graves, 5,000 cross, when the Sergio Leone made the movie. So they said, okay, let's see if someone wants to put a, a grave here and paid 15 euros. Well, they had to stop. Worldwide, you know, there are five, they have 5,000 there and it's all full. And in fact, the day that I asked them, I thought I got, managed to get in touch with them and I said, I want to have a grave. And he said, sorry, Luis, sorry. But we are stop, we stop. We are limited. Okay, don't you worry, but I will dress as a cowboy and one day I will go and see them. And I did. I went there and I dressed as a cowboy. But on Christmas, they sent me a present and they sent me a video with a guy that put my grave. I said, Luis, here is your grave. Oh. In, and so I have a grave that is not my body, will never rest there. It will rest no, wherever no. I die. I don't mind. But it's just uh, something, you know, uh, anecdotic. But uh, uh, yeah, no, not many people can say that they get a grave for Christmas, huh? No. <laughs> But the Metallica, the singer of Metallica, the group of Metallica, because he always starts his concerts with the music from Ennio Morricone, the musician that used to do the music for Sergio Leone. And yeah. he always does music, and he has a grave there as well, a cross with his name. So Claudia you, Cardinale as well. You must have visited then lots of, I'm guessing, lots of different sites where Westerns were filmed, because a lot of the Hollywood Westerns were, well, used to call them spaghetti westerns because they'd be filmed somewhere in Italy or in Spain even. There are lots of different places where famous westerns are filmed, were filmed. Yeah, in Almeria. In Almeria, I was there with a rally a long time ago with my brother-in-law, 1985 or 86. I went to the western 
village there. There was a Western village there that uh, it still exists there. And he went and he wanted to go because in Almeria they do a, a film festival, cowboy uh, Western film festival. But every year they do it, I couldn't go. I think it's doing Rally Legend in San Marino. And I couldn't go because of the Rally Legend, but I really want to go there. And I will go there dressed as a cowboy. Yes, I, I want sure. pictures of it. I want pictures of it. I want to see Lewis Moyer dressed as a cowboy. Lewis, I will let you go. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions just to round things off. Um, you know, right now in, in your life, you are still, as you mentioned, very heavily involved with, with everything rallying. What do you think about what's going on right now within the world of rallying, the WRC? Obviously, Lots of people calling out um, for change, which we changed the hybrid system a couple of years ago. There's still calls for change moving forward. What do you think of where we are right now with WRC? I think we are not where we should be. I mean, people, they say that rallying my time were better. And I said, no, it was not better. It was different. We didn't have mobile phones. We had no internet. Rallying is a lovely, a fabulous sport. But I think now with only two, let's say two and a half manufacturers, it's not so much, you know, and I had a rumor, and in fact, for me, it would be a fantastic idea. Forget about Rally 1, make everything Rally 2. Maybe make a bigger restrictor or do something like that. Make easier cars, because in WRC2, I think there are five manufacturers now without Volkswagen, because Volkswagen would be a six car, but it's not a manufacturer competing. And I think we need more manufacturers, because what it surprised me, Bex, is that you look at Le Mans, 24 hours Le Mans or Le Mans series, and there are, I think, 14 manufacturers in Le Mans. Why the manufacturers go to Le Mans and they don't come to the World Rally Championship? This is the first question that I will ask myself. Why are they going there and they're not coming to us? What are we not doing right? Because we are surrounded by very good people. Peter Tool, uh, Robert Reed, Vice President of the FIA. Uh, you know, it's people that they know about rally. Mohamed bin Sulayem, the President of the FIA, he was a rally driver. He said to Carlos and myself last year in Portugal, believe me, if I can help you, let me how. So I yeah. think we need to do something because our sport, if you take Rally 1, even though we have to think that in 2035, you cannot sell combustion engines in Europe. UK is thinking about 2030. Yeah. So we need to go to a different kind of vehicles. But at the moment, maybe Rally 1 vehicles, I think they are very expensive. And also Denis Rodet, which I spoke with him two or three days ago, he told me, Luis, I was doing some testing with Oliver in one of these cars two years ago. You cannot believe, Luis, the speed we're doing nowadays. And I think maybe it's a good moment to stop that because they are going much faster than the groupies. And we stopped the groupies in those days because they were dangerous. And I think maybe it's a time to think about and I said, okay, let's reset a little bit. And why not make everything rally too and make six, seven manufacturers? It will be fantastic. Mm. Mm. I don't know if it's a solution, but we are in good hands. I, I, think, I think so. And I think that there's a lot of good people who are trying to push the way forward. Um, when you're looking now across the people who are competing, the drivers who are out there, Lewis, the drivers who are starting to, to come up through the ranks, how much are you following competition right now? Is there anyone that's standing out for you in the kind of the up and coming driver ranks? Well, obviously it was Kale Robampera because it was Kale Robampera broke all the possible statistics and, you know, the philosophy of a rally driver. When they asked me before, Kale Robampera, do you think if Kale Robampera, you know, when they said, no, no, you need to have experience. You know, the youngest driver in the world of the championship was Colin McRae, 27 years old. Carlos was just one year older. Mm. I mean, you need to have experience. And then eventually he wins the championship was he was 20, 22, I think. 22, 21st, yeah. 22. Yeah. So he broke everything, all the possible ideas. You know, you don't need to have experience anymore to win the championship. Yeah. But I think that was a special driver. But... On the other drivers, of course, the, the ones that are there, Otana has been world champion, Sebastian Ollier is doing every now and then, but he's, he's, Sebastian Ollier probably is the guy with more charisma in the whole championship, you know, because I, I think you need 
charismatic people, you know, people that yeah. transmit like, a little bit like Carlos used to be. In fact, even in his own way, you can and obviously Colin McRae, Richard Burns, they were really charismatic drivers, you know. Yeah. But I think the drivers there nowadays, you know, like Otanag World Champion, Thierry Neville was not yet, but he's a good driver. But I think what we miss is more manufacturers, you know, to have more teams, more teams. That will increase a lot, the sport. And also go to rallies, for example, Argentina. You know, I miss Argentina. I think, not myself, I probably all in the World Championship, we all miss Argentina. Yeah. It's a lovely event, you know, not to be there. And I I'm glad that we are going to Kenya because if you want to call a World Rally Championship, we should have at least one rally per continent yeah? yeah and i think argentina would have been ideal obviously they probably have some economical problems there I, I i don't know why it's not in the championship yeah but uh, i'd like to see argentina back and some other events corsica for example is a tarmac event but it's a very special tarmac event i'd like to see corsica back someday some as well but i know things are not easy but for me the first thing they have to do is get manufacturers in the championship i think that's I know you're a really busy man, Lewis, with, with everything that you're doing. But if, you know, if, if the FIA ever knocked on your door and said, Lewis Moyer, we, we need you, we need your ideas, would you be open to that? Would you be open to working closer with the championship? Maybe work with the championship, but maybe be with them or be a kind of an ambassador for the World of the Championship. Why not? You know, because I love the sport. I will always love it. It gave me everything I have in my life. It was given to me by, by Raleen. So I will always like to give back, you know, and uh, in fact, this year I didn't go to any event, but the, the, the last year, this year coming, hopefully I can go to some event. I like to go to one event at least, you know, to see the, the friends that I have there, you to see all the people that are around that I met mm -hmm. so many years. And, and, but yeah, as a kind of an ambassador, yeah, or even work with the FIA, why not? Maybe do something in rallying, I don't know. I, I would love to see it. I would, I would love to work with you more closely. And if you are coming to an event this year, you tell me and you're coming into commentary, yes? I will do. No problem. <laughs> Good. It will Lewis, be a pleasure. Lewis, I have loved talking to you. And we could talk at length about various different parts of your life. But I think we'd be here for about 24 hours if we did that. You have such stories to tell. And I hope you keep telling them to many, many people because you're a fascinating man. And I'm going to add one more word to your three which i think were was you know you said you were a heavy worker you were passionate positive positive, and positive. i i'm gonna add gentlemen to that because mm -hmm. you absolutely are a complete gentleman it's been a real pleasure thank you very much thank you to you bex and i'm proud that you called me first thank you again all the best in the season for more great world rally championship content head to rally tv with its thousands of hours of archive footage and exclusive live programming event review shows and extensive onboards. Special features too on some of the legends of the sport. This is all available at rally.tv and wrc.com, the digital online home of the World Rally Championship.